Are you ready for some high adventure? Coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 12. As it turns out, where we started was with some shut-eye, as far away from each other as common sense would allow. It had by this time been a full day, and Square Jaw favored a fresh start. He didn't seem the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed type, but he had me meet him the next morning across from the Gazette building, and a second-floor coffee shop I never would have noticed if I hadn't been looking for it. He was there when I arrived, with an oversized cup that made him look like a midget, and an expression on his face like a yogi in a trance. I wasn't even sure that he could see me when I arrived. Are you having a stroke, or is that supposed to be a smile, I asked. Shh, he said, raising two fingers and giving them a small, smooth wave, like a vaudeville hypnotist. Why, I said, baffled. He didn't look hungover, or at least no more hungover than he always looked. Coffee, he said. Get some. I shrugged. I hadn't been getting along with coffee shops lately, but when in Rome. I walked up to the counter and was greeted by a surprisingly seedy-looking little man. I ordered a coffee, and he looked at me as if I had just struck him. He slowly pointed at a large chalkboard behind him, and I realized to my horror that everything on it was coffee. There had to be a dozen options, all broken down by the point of origin of the beans, as far as I could tell. Holy Toledo, I muttered. Just give me what he's having, but a normal size. The man shook his head. Not sure you could handle Jack's blend, he said. Now he was just bothering me. Coffee was coffee. He must have sensed my irritation. I'll get you something nice, he said, and fixed me a slightly smaller bathtub full of whatever it was that ladies drank in this booby hatchery. I nearly fell down when he asked me for a quarter, but paid the man and went over to join Flattop, whose expression had not changed. What is this place, I asked. Have you tried your coffee, he said serenely. Jack, I don't want to talk about the stupid coffee, I snapped. He looked hurt, which I didn't know was possible, so I tried the coffee in exasperation. It was pretty outstanding, and I guess my face must have shown it. There are four coffee houses of this quality in the city, he said, as though imparting deep wisdom. Most focus on the sale of the beans by the bag, but you can, of course, get a cup. This place is directly across from the newspaper offices, and those boys need rocket fuel and plenty of it, so the ratio is reversed. They make an espresso that can speak directly to God on your behalf. What's an espresso, I asked, not really caring. The hurt look came back. Please tell me we didn't drive across town in the morning rush just so you could talk in riddles like Charlie Chan. He smiled. So sorry, he said. Here come number one son now. I followed his gaze, and there at the counter was a large, red-headed man who looked a little rough. My guess was that he had closed the bar downstairs only a few hours before, but maybe he always looked like that. He was getting a tiny cup of something, and a giant cup of something else. You know him, I said, still not sure what we were doing here and still not enjoying playing Dr. Watson. Justice ignored that and called to the big man as he turned. Hey, Mike. The red-headed man looked up quizzically and his eyes settled on Jack. Oh, no, he sighed. Yup, I said, at least he knows you. Shut up, Jack muttered as he smiled. The red-headed man looked toward the door and gestured Jack in the direction of a secluded booth by a tiny window that overlooked the street. 
The man looked at me, a little puzzled as he did so, obviously unsure of what so much talent was doing in a coffee shop with Jack Justice first thing in the morning, something of which I was profoundly uncertain of myself just now. We settled into the booth, the big man taking the seat from which he was least likely to be spotted from the counter or the door. I wondered if all Jack's friends were this keen to not be seen with him. Mike, this is Trixie Dixon, Jack said. We're working on the same case. I liked that. It sounded much better than working together for obvious reasons, but he also avoided making any suggestion that I was his little helper, which is what I expected. I made a mental note to kill him quickly and painlessly when the moment finally came. Trixie, this is Mike Rogers, Jack said, ace crime reporter for the Gazette. Ah, shucks, Rogers said sarcastically and threw back whatever was in the tiny cup. He reacted as if whatever it held was something good. And I wondered if this was a secret booze can of some kind. Rough night, Jack smiled. Every night, Rogers grimaced. You know the story. Day isn't over till the paper's put to bed, and the paper's not put to bed until the editor says it is or the clock runs dry. And then we started all over again. Didn't really see anything that interesting in the crime beat, Mike, Justice said, clearly fishing. Mike Rogers bit his lip for a while and smiled. Finally, he shook his head. What could you possibly mean, Jack? He asked. Like a little bunny rabbit with a hole in her head that got put there while she was being watched by a pair of his and her peepers? Something like that? Jack smiled. Yeah, he said, something exactly like that. The reporter shook his head and prepared for a long pull on his coffee. I took a discreet sip of mine and waited. You've got an angel looking out for you, Jack Justice, he said. We're friends and all, but I'd have had to run that story just the way Sabian pitched it. Sabian? I said in protest. The two baboons I was seated with exchanged a look at this. She's surprised, Mike asked. Jack shrugged. I'm a little surprised he made the call himself. He didn't like you very much, remember, Rogers grinned. I wasn't the first call he made either. He was very clear about that. So you would know that every paper in town was going to tell the ribald tale of Jack Justice and his heroic incompetence? For some reason, Jack was amused by this, and it was getting on my nerves. Rogers nodded. And I'm glad I didn't get a look at you until this morning, Miss Dixon, because I'd have killed myself when the story got canned if I'd have known there were two Class A dishes involved. Thanks, I think, I said. I have that effect on a lot of fellas. You don't know the half of it, Roger said. He'd have been embarrassed, but you'd have had to move to Topeka. You can only dress up old photos of the victim so many ways. A new picture of you and those legs every day would have sold a lot of papers. Again, thank you, I said, not meaning it. No offense, Roger said, with a small gesture of surrender with his hands. But I know the newspaper business. Murder is most interesting in the first couple of days, which is also when we don't know anything and we have nothing to print. Your little comedy shoot 'em up would have made decent copy, but if the powers that be sit on this for more than a couple of days, they'll know too much and you'll never make the story. Gams notwithstanding. Besides, with every day that passes, the column inches go down. What people really want to know when someone is murdered is whether or not they'll be next. A few days go by, they realize it isn't a murder spree, and they're probably safe, and that's the end of the fun. Worst case scenario is they solve this before they call off the dogs. Then we get one day of it, and it's over. Jack nodded sagely. Appallingly bad taste aside, Mike, what Miss Dixon and I are chiefly interested in at this point is how the story got from point A being giant type above the fold, to point B, being not even a half a paragraph below the title schedule. Roger smiled. 
He seemed to do that a lot in spite of the fact that he was cynical, callous, and probably a drunk. I liked him. Couldn't say, Jackie, he said. By the time I wiped the drool off my chin and got to my editor's office, the story was already dead. Somebody worked fast and did it on no uncertain terms. My boss wouldn't even listen to me talk about it, threw me out on my ear and told me to find a real story. As if there were a story more real than this one. Jack nodded and said nothing. I shook my head. None of this made sense, so what was the big jerk nodding for? Did he think he was fooling anybody? Mike Rogers carried on as if prompted, so maybe he was. I got back on the line to Sabian to see if he knew what the rumpus was, and by the time I did, it was a dead deal. Somebody had called him off too. You got friends in high places, Jackie? He doesn't even have friends in low places, I said. Shut up, Jack said without a great deal of urgency. Make me, I said. How long you two been married, Rogers grinned. Cut it out, Mike. You give me the heebie-jeebies, Jack said before I could. All right, schoolgirls, I said. I think the real question is, who would have the kind of reach to put the lid on the press and the cops at the same time? They didn't have a whole lot to say to that. I'm not sure I'm buying any single source, Rogers said with a shrug. But I've been wrong before. Who else is involved? Can't tell you that, I said. Sabian didn't tell you, Jack said with raised eyebrow. Nah, Rogers said sadly. By the time you two walked out of the clink, the story was deader than the lovely Janet Timms. What do you know about her, Jack asked. Rogers smiled again. Who were you working for, he asked. If anyone asks, Sabian told you, Jack said. For Pete's sake, Jack, I protested. I can't print a thing, Rogers said defensively. I just want to know if it's worth risking my job to keep digging. Roger Mayfield, Jack said. She's for Mrs. Mayfield. Jack, what in the hell are you doing, I said, loud enough that everyone in the place looked over to see if I was being molested. They seemed disappointed to find that I was not. Roger shook his head. Never heard of a Roger Mayfield, he said. No reason why you should, Jack said. City planner. Was having it off with the deceased. Thought he might be being blackmailed by person or persons unknown. Her ladyship was on a divorce job, now made redundant by the whole dead mistress thing. Holy cats, I said. Can you even spell confidentiality? Jack thought about this for a moment. Not off the top of my head, no. Mike Rogers seemed disappointed by this turn of events. A lousy city planner, he said. How does a civil servant get that kind of pull? Yeah, Jack said. This is kind of the mystery. Well, that and the whole sexy murder thing. Rogers snorted. I don't really do mystery, he said. I do murder and mayhem and scandal when I get it. Mystery is for paperbacks. Good to know, Jack said. What about the girl? A real dish, Roger said, forgetting or not caring that we had seen her. We could have had a field day with this. Mm-hmm, Jack said unamused. So what's the story? The story like how, Roger said. He was not being coy. He just couldn't imagine why we were interested, which, to be honest, escaped me right now, too. Like the apartment, Jack said. My client couldn't have been keeping her in that way by himself. Roger smiled. She owns it. Or did, anyway. How do you own an apartment, I asked. You spend a reasonable amount of time servicing the carnal needs of one of the city's most prominent gangsters, Roger said with a polite smile and folded hands, as if discussing a bridge tournament in a church basement. And when he tires of you, and bear in mind these guys go through girls like I do peanuts, but when he tires of you, if he still has happy memories of you and you might like to revisit them from time to time, he retires you buys you something that makes you a little money and keeps you available to him if not exactly full-time. She owns the building and the apartment in the shop below. She makes a little rent off that, not much, but enough, I guess. 
Jack and I looked at each other. Did we really want any part of this? Who are we talking about, Mike? Jack said. Al Rossetti, Rogers said with a smile. I thought he was mostly legit these days, I said. Rogers looked mildly impressed, which was probably as impressed as he ever got. The territory between mostly legit and all legit is vast and treacherous, he said poetically. In general, if you still use the word legit, you ain't. Would he have had the reach to shut down your editors, Jack asked? Rogers shrugged. If he wanted to, he or somebody in his pocket could do it in a heartbeat. Why would he? Maybe he wants to take care of Janet Timms' killer himself, I offered. Maybe, Roger said, but no way he could have got to Sabian, so I ain't sure I'd buy it. Yeah, I said. Yeah, Jack echoed. We sat in silence for a moment. Good coffee, though, I said. Thank you for listening to Thursday Thrillers right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase bringing you the very newest in audio releases from our United Artists of Audio right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.